Welcome to the podcast of Living Faith Fellowship in Klamath Falls, Oregon. Now, you will hear Pastor Rich preach the sermon, Betrayal During a Celebration, from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 14, verses 10 through 21. We pray that God will use this sermon to speak to you directly. And now, to Pastor Rich. To Brute is a famous English literature, and it comes from Shakespeare, Julius Caesar's play. In one of the most dramatic, violent, and bloody scenes, a group of murderers come to kill Julius Caesar, and then they wash their hands in his blood. Caesar's last words, et tu Brute, which means, you too, Brutus? You too? You see, just as humans are prone to love and strive and hate, unfortunately, humans are also prone to betray one another. Betrayal, unfortunately, is part of the fallen human nature, and it's been involved throughout human history with many unpleasant things done to one another. Oftentimes, Betrayal is dramatic in the way it begins, but the long-lasting consequences of betrayal can go on for generations. So I want you to think about that as you open your Bibles with me this morning to Mark chapter 14 as we continue in that verse-by-verse study. Really quickly, while you're turning there or opening your app there, let's talk about what we learned last week. Last week, we met a woman who loved the Lord so much that she broke all cultural norms to come and break this very expensive bottle of perfume that cost over a year's wages and anoint Jesus for burial. We also talked about the Passover, which is a feast offering a lamb and unleavened bread that celebrated the redemption of Israel out of Egypt. It's ironic that Jesus Christ gave his life as the Passover lamb of God who would take away the sin of the world on the Passover holiday. Then again, we learned about that extravagant gift and Mary walks in and she breaks open this vial of perfume and she anoints Jesus and some in the room are so indignant. They're so upset that she would waste so much money and they're so quick to criticize her. Yet Jesus says, leave her alone. I tell you the truth, she's anointing me for burial, and what she has done will be a lasting memorial unto her. And we ended saying this, that authentic worship is all about people being moved towards Jesus because he's the God of infinite worth. And so this morning, Jesus is going to celebrate his very last Passover here on earth physically, And all the while, he's going to be betrayed by one of his closest followers. Where I'm hoping to go this morning is after, yes, the story, it's history, it's true, it's all there. But where I want to end is, since each one of us in this room this morning can tell stories of betrayal, what I'm hoping to do is send you out the door with some practical tips of how to get past that betrayal in your life. Because if I were to ask every one of you to come up here and share a story, there's no doubt in my mind, Every one of us could share a story of betrayal from either a family member or a friend or or someone at church, even a church or even a pastor. And so how do we get past that? So Roman numeral one there in your bulletins, the pain of betrayal. If your Bibles are open, Mark chapter 14, let's begin at verse 10. It says, then Judas Iscariot, one of the 12, went to the chief 
priests to betray him to them. And when they heard it, they were glad and promised to give him money. So he sought how he might conveniently betray him. Again, remember, the 12 apostles, the 12 disciples were his closest followers. And even after his death, the other 11 were the leaders in the beginning of the early church. And they helped spread the gospel throughout the world. The 12 apostles learned from Jesus. They were mentored from Jesus. And they even assisted Jesus with his mission here on earth. They were eyewitnesses to all the prophecies fulfilled. They were witnesses to all the miracles that were done. Now, we don't know much about Judas and his background prior to him following Jesus because Scripture does not tell us how they first met. But they're in your notes. Judas followed and stayed with Jesus for three years, but he never fully gave his heart to Jesus, and Jesus knew it. So here again in the Gospel of Mark, Judas goes to the religious leaders and he's negotiating a price to betray his mentor. Negotiating a price, how to give up Messiah. He knew, he saw the prophecies, he knew the teachings. My mentor, what will you give me if I betray him? You got to remember, Judas had been looking for a high position within the kingdom. We're told over and over again in the Gospels that the apostles would come to Jesus and say, can I have your right hand? Can I have your left hand? And so he's been looking for this high position within the kingdom of God. Yet what he's not understanding is the kingdom of God is so, so different than the kingdom of men. Jesus had been talking about dying and now he's teaching them on servant leadership And I believe the final straw for Judas was this greedy thief. The final straw is Mary coming in, breaking a year's wages and not putting it into the coffer so he could steal it. And he's like, I see this kingdom's going nowhere. I believe that was the final straw. Jesus said he honored her instead of correcting her. Catch this. Judas should serve us as a warning that the desires of our heart can give us a hearing problem. The desires of our heart can cause us to hear something that we want to hear rather than what the word of God actually says. And Judas was disillusioned. This isn't what I signed up for. I want power. I want position. I don't want to be a servant leader. Last week, remember, we said that the disciples had longed for fame and influence. Yet Mary gained it, not by striving for it, but by loving and worshiping Jesus for real. And remember, Jesus now is telling them, I'm about to die. There in your notes. Judas began to believe that following Jesus was leading nowhere. So he began to think that he should get out while he could still gain something for himself. Let me share these scriptures with you. Luke 22, 3. Then Satan entered Judas, surnamed Iscariot, who was numbered among the twelve. So he went his way and conferred with the chief priests and captains how he might betray him to them. Satan found a way to enter into this narrative through the thinking and the actions of Judas. This should scare you. How could one of Jesus' closest followers actually be used by Satan. 
Wow. St. Augustine said this, there can only be two basic loves, one of God to the forgetfulness of self or self to the denial of God. Again, Judas never fully gave his heart to Jesus and Jesus knew it. To Judas, Jesus was simply a means to the end. What's in it for me? Judas fellowshiped and lived with the other 11. He served Jesus without ever being a true follower. That's scary. In today's church, sometimes we hear stuff just like this. It's presented just like this. You can have your own way. If you just confess it, you can have whatever you want. And that's not the gospel of Christ. There in your notes, Timothy Keller has said, you cannot have Jesus's rescue without accepting his rule. If Jesus is king, you cannot make him a means to your end. Ouch. And notice the religious leaders were glad when they heard from Judas. They were happy because the religious leaders have been planning for a long time how to kill Jesus. And now they have an inside man. We have an inside man. All right. So number two, the place to enjoy a meal. Look at verse 12. Now, on the first day of unleavened bread, when they killed the Passover lamb, his disciples said to him, where do you want us to go and prepare that you may eat the Passover? And he sent out two of his disciples and said to them, go into the city and a man will meet you carrying a pitcher of water. Follow him. Wherever he goes in, say to the master of the house, the teacher says, where's the guest room in which I may eat the Passover with my disciples? Then he will show you a large upper room furnished and prepared. There, make ready for us. So the disciples went out, came into the city and found it just as he said to them, and they prepared the Passover. I'm going to step on some toes this morning. I hope you wore steel toes. But God stepped on my toes this week. So I just want to be nice and share it with you. <laughs> C.S. Lewis said, human history is a terrible story of man trying to find something to make them happy other than God. There in your notes. The reason so many people are disillusioned within marriage or other relationships is because they think another person or thing can fulfill them. But only God can fill that hole in your heart. I've done a lot of marriage counseling over the past 25, 28 years. And the number one thing I find within marriage counseling is one spouse or the other or both think that somehow their spouse is supposed to make them happy. That is not true. Your spouse is not God. And by you pouring that responsibility onto them, they will never meet your expectations. You will try and try and try into frustration. God has put a God-shaped vacuum in your heart, Ecclesiastes tells us, and only God himself can fill that. So when you're looking at a spouse or a friendship or something else to fulfill that in you, it will never happen. You will frustrate your friend or spouse and you will be frustrated. Luke 22, 8 says the two men were actually Peter and John. 
That's who the two men were that got sent out. Think about this. The other disciples may have been unaware of what Judas's plans were, but Jesus knew. Jesus knew exactly what he had planned. And the day began at sundown. So this is Friday night and they go into this upper room. They're ready to have Passover. And Jesus tells us this specific guy is to be found by these two men. Think about this. Go and find a specific man and then he will take you into this house. Does that not show the supernatural ability of Jesus and how he uses natural things? The supernatural foreknowledge of God. Go, you're going to find this man carrying a pitcher and then go into that house. The need for natural use of a house there in your notes. So when we willingly offer the Lord our meager offerings, he will add to our offerings to fulfill his plan and purposes. And so Peter and John are told, go look for this man carrying a pitcher. And, and Wiersbe said this guy wouldn't be hard to find because in their culture, a woman would be carrying the pitcher of water, not a man. So they're going to find it. Realize this. Even as Judas was preparing to betray our Lord, he's in full control. He never stopped being in control. Allow it to be. This must happen. There in your notes, during the feast, Jesus told the disciples how they were to live for him in this world. So I want you to think about this for just a minute. They're sitting down for the last meal they're going to share together. It's the Passover. And they're celebrating this high holy holiday. And in the middle of it, First thing Jesus says, this is how you're to live in this world. Ready? John 13, 34, a new commandment I give you, that you love one another. As I have loved you, that you may also love one another. By this, all men will know that you're my disciples, how you love one another. And so he gets done giving them the do better talk and you need to love one another. Here's what it's all about, guys. And then he's going to comfort them. Next there in your notes. During the feast, Jesus comforted them and assured them about the hope for future. This is where Jesus is getting ready to go back to heaven. And the disciples are all torn up and, and wound up not knowing what he's talking about. And that famous John 14 happens right here at that feast. Let not your hearts be troubled. You believe in God? Believe also in me. In my father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. All wound up, not knowing what to do, full of anxiety. And the first thing he says is, let not your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. And then he says, and by the way, I'm going to prepare a place for you. And I will come back and receive you to myself. Jesus knew the future of these disciples and he knew they needed comforting. He knew. He knew what was about to happen. Judas in just a short time from now is going to go commit suicide. Ten of them are all going to die horrific deaths. Think of Peter. As they go to hang Peter on a cross, he said, may it never be that I die like my Savior. I want to be hung upside down and die. Okay. And then John, 
the one in whom Jesus loved. They boiled him in oil. He's so stubborn he won't die. So they exile him to Patmos instead. Jesus knows that they need encouragement. By the way, Jesus knows we need encouragement. Jesus knows what we need. You know, I want to serve you all the days of my life, but Lord, there are sometimes I'm just, I'm out of gas. And Jesus would say, look to me and I'll give you perfect peace. I'll give you everything you need to the end of your days to serve me. These words of John 14, just think about all the martyrs in the early church. And Jesus would say, let not your hearts be troubled. I know you're going to die for your faith. Imagine the millions of saints who had to hang on, cling on to those words. Richard Semino said this. Jesus basically says to them, death is troubling. Betrayal is troubling. Suffering is troubling. But heaven is real. There it is. Heaven's real. You know, every time I do a funeral and I, and I share out of John 14, People at a funeral are faced with eternity. Eternity enters in their mind at that time because they think, what is the afterlife? What does this life have? And Jesus would say, I'm here to comfort you. If you believe in me, I go to prepare a place for you too. Even the best of fallen mankind have discovered that death and betrayal, pain and suffering are all universal. It's universal. There in your notes. So Jesus took this opportunity at the Passover feast to comfort his followers with words and truth of eternity because there's no state of mind that can remedy the troubled heart. And notice verse 16, and they found everything just the way Jesus said it would be. And we're not told exactly where they got the lamb or where they got the unleavened bread or any of that, but they found it exactly the way Jesus had said, almost like he knew what was coming. So number three, here, here's where it gets real. The ultimate betrayal. Look at verse 17. In the evening, he came in with the twelve. Now, as they sat and ate, Jesus said, Surely I say to you, one of you who eats with me will betray me. And they began to be sorrowful and said to him one by one, Is it I? Another said, Is it I? He answered and said to them, it is one of the twelve who dips with me in the dish. The son of man indeed goes just as it is written of him. But woe to that man by whom the son of man is betrayed. It would have been good for that man to have never been born. There's something else going on at this dinner. Again, it's the, the Passover. It's the last meal he's going to have. He's with all his followers. But as Wearsby said, in between Mark 14, 17 and Mark 14, 18, right between those two verses is the account of where Jesus washed the disciples feet. Now, I want you to think about this. Only the lowliest of servants would wash the house guests feet. They're nasty dirt roads. They've come in off these dirt roads and the lowliest of servants would get down on their hands and knees and wash the feet. It was a custom. And here Jesus says, I'm going to wash your feet as an example for you to serve one another. And remember, Peter said, may it never be and all that. But during this whole time, 
Jesus is having supper with these people. And during the whole time, he never exposed Judas. And what's so crazy is he lets Judas eat with him. But he also washed Judas' feet. Fully knowing that Judas was going to betray him. In between all this, Jesus loves Judas. How can that be? And I thought about this. You know, if Peter would have known the truth about Judas, he'd have killed him. Right. Peter would have taken out the sword and just cut his head off. That would have been the end of that. And verse 18 says, and they sat and they ate. Jesus washes the feet of his betrayer. And then sits down and shares a meal with this guy. David Guzik said this at the first Passover. God commanded them to eat the meal standing to be ready to leave Egypt. There in your notes. But since Israel came into the promised land, they believed that they could eat the Passover sitting or reclining because now they're at the rest that God had given them in the promised land. But again, I want you to notice how Jesus loved Judas. From the moment that Jesus chose Judas to follow him until the night of his betrayal, Jesus poured out love and mercy and grace on this betrayer. There in your notes, Jesus poured himself into Judas as a mentor, just as he did the other 11 men. He did everything he could to save Judas. This is crazy. It could have been different for Judas. Jesus did everything to save him, but Judas chose to betray Jesus would have accepted him all the way to the last minute, but Judas chose to go on with it. And I love how Jesus does this so discreetly. He doesn't call him out in a crowd. He doesn't expose him, any of that. And I wonder when Jesus said the words that one of you will betray me, was that a subliminal message to Judas? Hey, Judas, I know. I know what you're about to do, but go and do it. I know. It's no secret to me. And it just blows me away that Jesus still loved him. Judas could have been restored. Judas could have been forgiven. And if you think I'm wrong, think about Peter. Peter denied the Lord three times. And yet the Lord forgave him and restored him into ministry. How crazy. So what's the difference? What's the difference between Judas and Peter? Paul said to the church at Corinth in 2 Corinthians seven ten, for godly sorrow produces repentance leading to salvation and not to be regretted. But the sorrow of the world produces death. Godly sorrow produces repentance. Repentance, fancy word. All it means is you're heading this direction. You turn around and head back towards God with your thoughts and your actions. True repentance, godly repentance is I stop, I turn around and I run to Abba because he's the only one that can fix this. You see, here's the truth. Turn to your neighbor and say it's about to get real. Go ahead. If you're sorry for your behavior, but it does not change your action or your attitude towards that sin, it's not godly sorrow. 
Now, this may sound legalistic and you say, Rich, this is not like you. But there's a difference. And, I, and I'm hoping to show you a difference because every Christian still sins. In fact, First John says that if you say you're without sin, you make God a liar and the truth is not in you. So this isn't supposed to be a guilt trip. I'm trying to show you the difference in hearts. C.H. Spurgeon said, repentance must never be thought of as something we must do before we can go back to God. No, repentance describes the very act of going back to God. And he goes on to say, you can't turn to God if you don't hate the things that God hates. And what a hard saying. I want to tell you, as I wrote that quote down, I was like, oh, that hurts. But I want to describe to you the difference between a besetting sin and a lifestyle sin. Okay, Christians, true Christians still have besetting sins in their life, even after salvation. And that's hard to believe. There are certain sins within the life of a believer known as besetting sins, and it comes out of Hebrews 12.1 in the old King Jimmy version. Okay, this is what that verse says. Hebrews 12.1, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doeth so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that was set before us. According to the Webster's Dictionary, a besetting sin means a constant problem or fault. Okay? Here's how you know whether it's a besetting sin or a lifestyle sin. A besetting sin is something that a believer continually struggles with, is convicted of, and constantly tries to give it up and surrender to the Lord. All Christians struggle with certain sins, but that's the key. We struggle. We're not at peace with it. We're not happy with it. We're not like, I can live in my sin and you can't tell me what to do. No, a besetting sin is when I hate when I do the things that I do, Paul would say in Romans 7. I hate it. I hate my sin. God, why'd you leave me with free will? Take it from me. That's when you know it's a besetting sin. You hate it. A besetting sin is very different than a lifestyle sin. There in your notes. A lifestyle sin is where a person is unrepentant and unwilling to change a habit or a lifestyle. A true Christian who does not repent of their sin is the most miserable person on the planet. Test me on this. If you know or you think that somebody is saved. You go, I know they're saved, but they're not repenting of this sin and they're just living in it like, like a dog in his own vomit. They're just living in it. Tell me, that person is miserable. A backslidden Christian is the most miserable person on the entire planet. If a person is sinning and they're happy-go-lucky about it, ooh, that's scary. Because a person with worldly sorrow will remain and they'll wallow in it and they'll regret their action, but they'll never accept the freedom that Jesus wants to give. Verse 18. Now, as they sat and ate, Jesus said, surely I said to you, one of you who eats with me will betray me. There in your notes, in the Jewish culture, betraying a friend after eating a meal with him was thought of the worst kind of disloyalty. But even still, Jesus loved 
Judas. Remember, this narrative follows the countercultural love of Mary, that worship of Mary. And the next scene is Judas betraying a friend. Here's what I thought as I was reading that. Is it not easy to assume that Jesus loved Mary and hated Judas? Isn't that easy to assume? That's not what scripture teaches. Scripture teaches that Jesus loved Judas. Knowing what he was going to do, knowing everything he was going to do, he still loved and served this guy. Could you do that? Again, John 13, 35, by this, all will know that you're my disciples, by your love for one another. You know, a lot of Christians major on the minor things. Do we not? Test me on this. We are our worst enemies. We shoot our own wounded in Christianity. We like to major on the minors, right? I know more doctrine and doctrine says, and don't get me wrong, I am a doctrine buff, right? I want to know. But when you start majoring on the minors, and yet God said, none of that is as important as love. But wait a minute, that sounds like sloppy grace to me. Well, let's see what the Apostle Paul said. To the church at Colossae in Colossians 3.12, this is what Paul said. Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another and forgiving one another. If anyone, and I think that includes you, has a complaint against another, even as Christ has forgiven you, catch this, so you must also do. But above all these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection. Above everything else in your walk, put on love, which is the glue that holds us together. Above everything else you've learned, everything else you know, Put on love, it's the glue that holds Christ's body together. Above anything else in your walk, love's the most important. And I think Paul in 1 Corinthians 13 said something like, you're just a clanging cymbal or a noisy gong if you have not love. Paul also said in 2 Corinthians 5, 14, for the love of Christ compels me. It's a response to what he's done for me. You see, we serve and love the Lord and others because he loved us first. It's the only way you can do it. We love him because he first loved us first, John says. The only reason I can love God or anybody else is because the love of God has come into me and then it flows out of me to others. If you want to love anybody, step one, receive his unconditional love. Step two, let it flow out of you. Give it away. So practical application, again, as a way of practical application, I want to teach us some steps on how to move on from betrayal. Because, again, I think betrayal is universal. And, and so we can experience betrayal from relationships or friends or family. And those feelings, you could just feel so overwhelmed by how could that person betray me? And those emotions sometimes are so hard to deal with. And if we don't deal with them, they're so detrimental to us. So here's your list. Number one, seek godly counsel. Christian, hear me. This is not an excuse to go gossip about the person who betrayed you. Two sins 
are not better than one. This is going to a trusted confidant that has nothing to do with the situation and not bashing the person who betrayed you, but just telling them what happened without gossiping. And that's tough, right? Because you want to tell them what a dirtbag he is. Do not. Proverbs 19.20, listen to counsel and receive instructions that you may be wise in your latter days. There are many plans in a man's heart. Nevertheless, the Lord's counsel, that will stand. Talking about your situation with someone who can be trusted and someone that's not biased will always help your heart. All right, number two, and this is one we often pass over. Take care of your physical health. Proper eating and sleeping and exercise and relaxation and your overall physical health affects your overall mental health. You can't help it. This is the way the body's made. And it can help you move on from those feelings of betrayal. You see, if things in your physical health are out of whack, things in your mental health are sure to follow. Number three, acknowledge the pain in order to deal with the issue. If you're like me, raised in this culture of grown men don't cry sort of thing and buried under the car, we don't ever need to talk about that again. Just put it behind you. It's very unhealthy. Just let me tell you, when all of a sudden that dam bursts, when you store up emotions to the point where you are a keg of dynamite, pretty soon you can't hold on anymore. And all of a sudden, Whatever the trigger is, might be so minor and all of a sudden, ah! and you have this emotional explosion because you didn't handle it right. Acknowledging the pain is healthy. Acknowledging the emotion is healthy. Do it in a healthy way and move on. That's when you can have true closure and truly hand it over to God. Number four, forgive yourself. Here's what you do. You ask during that betrayal, What part of any did I have? Did I have a part in this? And if you did, it's really simple. Repent, forgive yourself, and then go to the person who betrayed you. Repent, and then go to the person that betrayed you. Healing can be a process. It could be a long process. But if you had any part of it, own it. We're all fallible people, right? As much as it's possible with you, Seek reconciliation. This is what Paul said in Romans 12, 18. If it's possible, as much depends on you, live at peace with all men. Here's one that's tough for me too. Number five, don't seek vengeance. Again, being betrayed can be so hurtful and you want to get even with the person who hurt you, but it's so detrimental to us. You've heard the saying that, you know, Holding on to bitterness is like drinking poison and hoping the other person dies. God also tells us, by the way, that revenge is his responsibility, not yours. Stay in your lane. Romans 12, 19. Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. Number six. Offer forgiveness. Unforgiveness, again, is such a tremendous toll on our bodies and it can cause heart issues and blood pressure issues and and hurt you in many other areas. 
And so in order to offer forgiveness and love to others, again, you got to let God's love flow into you and flow out of you. We need to give ourselves permission to forgive and forget, let go of the bitterness. But listen, we clearly need to set healthy boundaries for people who have betrayed us. God never said, don't put up healthy boundaries. Just let them come kick you and kick you and kick you and kick you. That's not it. I forgive you. I love you. But this area of my life, you can never be in again. God commands us to forgive, but we can and we should hold people accountable for their part. Once we've dealt with our part, hold them accountable. Keeping unforgiveness will make you lose the joy of grace. Restore unto me the joy of my salvation. If you hold on to that, you will be miserable. When we let go of unforgiveness, it removes walls between relationships and it removes walls in the most important relationship any one of us has. And that's our relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. So we're told, forgive, maintain a healthy relationship and especially the one with Christ. And how I want to end, I've got two very important points that I want to end on. They're not in your notes. Write these somewhere because these are the most important points to letting go of betrayal. Remember, Jesus loved Judas. Number one, you have never and will never be betrayed as much as Jesus was from not only Judas, but our sin as well. It took the cross at Calvary. It took the beatings, the whipping with the cat of nine tails 39 times. It took all that for Jesus to pay for my sin. Judas betrayed him, but so did I. So you will never and have never been betrayed as much as Jesus was betrayed. And so number two, if you have been betrayed, and I think that's universal, the cost that you owe Jesus Christ is in the trillions. The parable tells us that the unjust servant was owed $10,000 and he went to collect that $10,000 while he owed the king trillions. We owe trillions to the Lord Jesus Christ. We do. And so here's what you do. Here's a practical to go home with. They did me wrong. There's no doubt about it. They betrayed me. They were rotten. They were terrible. All those things. I am taking that and I'm laying it at the feet of Jesus Christ as an offering. Because I owe him so much, I'm willing to give it over. You know what I found out? Maybe you're a little like me. I'm kind of a control freak at certain things. But what we tend to do, especially if we're a victim, is we take that pain and that unforgiveness and that betrayal, and it's the only thing we can control. And so we hold on to it like this. You can have everything, Lord, but you can't have this because I can control this. I can hold on to this and you can't have it. And so we never let it go thinking somehow we're hurting that person. And what we're really doing is building a wall between us and the Lord. And the Lord would say, lay it at my feet. And in exchange, I'll give you the perfect peace that surpasses all human understanding. I will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. Give it over. Stop controlling. Don't control it. 
You got to let it go. And I'm not trying to downplay any abuse or anything else that's happened in your life. Been there, done that, got it. I understand it. Forgive the person. Put up boundaries. Let go of this bitterness. That betrayal, don't hold on to it. It's terrible. So I'm going to ask the worship team to come on up. And like every week, there's, there'll be a number of us in the back who'd love to pray with you. But I would tell you that Jesus, our Passover lamb, wants you to experience freedom this morning. And if you're holding on to some of this stuff, you will never experience full freedom. And Jesus would say, just give it over to me as an offering and I will give you perfect peace. Let's pray. Thank you for listening to Pastor Rich preach the sermon Betrayal During a Celebration from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 14, verses 10 through 21. Tune in next week as Pastor Rich preaches a topical sermon. Join us every Sunday morning, either in person at 8.30 a.m. and 10.30 a.m. or online at 10.30 a.m. Pacific Standard Time. Watch our live stream on our website, YouTube, or Facebook page. Our website is livingfaithclimate.com. To find our Facebook, YouTube, or Instagram profile, simply search for Living Faith Fellowship Klamath. You can also find these links in the description of this week's episode. All sermons are available on our website. Simply click on the resources tab and then click on sermons. If you want to show your appreciation, you can tell others about us, subscribe to our podcast, and you can also leave a review so more people can hear the word of God. Thank you again and God bless you.